My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just great to be together with all of you. And if you're joining us online, just welcome to you as well. Judy and I were reflecting this week together because it was one year ago that I started uh, working here at Calvary. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's applause to you as well. We did it together, right? And just as we were reflecting on on that one year, I just want to say I am so grateful to call Calvary Baptist my church home. I love you. And, and I just love how my children are just so excited to be at church. I'm just so grateful for how my wife feels cared for. And I just look forward to just getting to know so many more of you better as we journey together following Jesus. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your graciousness and your love, your compassion, your kindness and patience with me. Yeah, and just, we just want to continue to look to Jesus to see what he has in store for us, trusting in his good and perfect will for us. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Next week, we are going to be changing things up. We're going to be switching to a different series, pausing this one, because it's Advent already next week. Wow, that happened fast. Uh, As you're turning there in your Bibles, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you, for your loving kindness towards us. We thank you so much for the word that you've given us that uh, is a light unto our path. We thank you so much for the living word, your son Jesus, who came and gave his life for us, but also before that he showed us how we might walk in your ways. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is alive in us, who empowers us and enables us to live the Christ life that you are calling us to here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased with the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 to verse 20 this morning. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Question for you. Have you ever been denied something because you haven't met the requirements? Maybe you've tried downloading an app to your phone, but you can't, upload, you can't download that one because your phone is too old. It won't run that particular software. Or maybe, you know, you applied for a job, but you weren't qualified because you didn't have the previous the experience that they're looking for. Or maybe you tried to get into a certain class at school or program, and you didn't have the right prerequisites. Or worst of all, maybe you were at an amusement park, and you wanted to go on that great ride, but you had to be this tall to get on there. 
and you didn't measure up. That happened to me. I can remember when I was seven years old going to Disneyland, my family with two other families, I was the youngest of nine children. And I can remember the feeling of bitter disappointment as all the other kids went on a ride. I'm pretty sure it was the Matterhorn. And I was left standing there alone, not able to go on to that ride because I didn't measure up. I know. This is why we love each other, right? This is great. But sometimes we might feel like requirements are just arbitrary rules just meant to keep the little man or the little woman down. We don't understand. Why do they exist? We begrudge them, and all we know is the bitter taste of resentment because we have been denied something we want, that thing we think will make our life better. But you know, requirements aren't just relegated to jobs or phone apps or even roller coaster rides. When it comes to faith, despite what you may have heard, the price of admission isn't free of charge. And if you want to go to heaven, there are some prerequisites. You're going to have to meet certain conditions. As we heard in the words of Jesus this morning in this passage we read, it's clear to enter God's kingdom, righteousness is required. Now we are well into our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I've entitled this Living in God's Countercultural Kingdom. And if you were here with us a number of weeks back for the sermon that kicked it off, you may recall that it started off with Jesus going around preaching to people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now this is Jesus' invitation to people to become citizens of God's coming kingdom. But in order to qualify, he said that these prospective citizens, they need to live differently. And that's where repentance comes in. Repentance is no longer living for yourself or living as the world wants you to live, but it's turning from those ways, following Jesus, and living in sync with God's ways. And the Sermon on the Mount, it describes the attributes that characterize heaven's citizens, right? They are meek. Heaven's citizens are merciful and pure in heart. They are peacemakers, Sometimes people can criticize Christians for being so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, right? But Jesus contradicts those sentiments here in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that the people who live according to his way, they are salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. As Pastor Reese said last week, by calling us salt, Jesus is calling us to be agents of preservation in a decaying world. By calling us light, he is calling us to be radically distinct in a dark world. And so by living as citizens of heaven, we may end up clashing with citizens of this world because the values of our kingdoms are going to collide. But make no mistake about it, our heavenly mindedness, it is only good for this world. It It preserves what is dying. It shines light into the darkness. And all of the attributes that Jesus says characterize these citizens of God's kingdom, righteousness is number one. Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like a pretty high bar. 
not just to meet, but to have to exceed. He says, unless it surpasses that of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were the religious professionals of the day, right? They were the ones who were spending all day studying and interpreting the scriptures and making sure that they and everybody else were, you know, in line, following what was written, following the rules. Now, this may seem unattainable, these benchmarks that Jesus sets. Most people in Jesus' day, they were illiterate. So they couldn't read the scriptures for themselves, let alone interpret them. And they also couldn't devote their lives to working in the temple. They had jobs that they needed to work, mouths to feed. So how could anybody expect to have their righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law? It just doesn't seem fair. But Jesus is clear. To enter God's kingdom, this righteousness, it is required. Perhaps you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable with where this sermon is going. You think, is Dave advocating a work salvation that we can be saved through good deeds, earning it, living good lives? He's a heretic. I knew it. No more cheering. Boo. Right? Certainly, this is not what I'm suggesting. In Galatians 3, it says, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. And so we hold to the truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But Jesus is the one here who says that he has not come to abolish the law, that those who practice and teach Scripture's commands will be considered great, and that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless their righteousness surpasses the religious leaders. What can he mean by all of this? First of all, I think we need to understand what does Jesus mean by the law and the prophets? You see, in his day, the law, that could have meant several different things. The law could refer to the Ten Commandments, you know, those ones that were inscribed on those tablets given to Moses at Mount Sinai. That was the law. Could be the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, which were referred to as the Torah. When loosely translated, it's the law. I think when Jesus says the law and the prophets, it's almost certain that he's referring to the entire Old Testament, that he's referring to Genesis through Malachi. But in his day, there was another idea of the law. There was the oral law or the scribal law. And this was the list of rules and regulations that the Jewish religious scholars and scribes came up with in order to help people live out the principles that were found in God's word. So what these religious leaders did, it began with really good intentions, right? But eventually things went sideways and they became seriously misguided. So the oral and scribal law was intended to answer the questions, how do we fit the principles found in God's word into our everyday life? So how do we keep the, the Sabbath day holy? Good question. Or how do we honor God by giving a tithe? These are good questions, but unfortunately, they came to some seriously off-the-mark answers. So, for example, with the Sabbath day, how do we keep it holy? The Sabbath day was intended to be a day of rest. And so, they calculated the number of steps that a person could take on the Sabbath before that would be considered work. And the number was 2,000 cubits, which is, which is a little over one kilometer. Now, that would certainly prohibit someone from doing any sort of work activity, 
but it would also prohibit them from any sort of ability to enjoy any of other of God's good gifts, like go for a walk in creation or to play some games and have some fun. Other good gifts from God. Eventually, they came up with a whole set of laws like this, totaling over 800 pages in a book called the Mishnah that they adhered to, but they also expected everybody else to as well. But this list of rules, what it did is it reduced God's gift of principles and instructions to live by in order to have a good life and maintain good relationships with him and others down into just a into a code of rules and regulations that made faith more about duty rather than devotion, compulsion instead of relationship. But the principles that we find in scriptures, they're not simply just a list of do's and don'ts. Rather, they are a picture of what do these right relationships with God and others look like. And this is what many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day got so wrong. They thought that they were righteous because they complied to the letter of the law because the Mishnah ensured it, right? It safeguarded them. But real righteousness, it goes beyond compliance with the rules, beyond legality. And this is what Jesus denounces the religious leaders of his day for, for leading people astray into obeying their laws and away from a flourishing life with God and other citizens. Take, for example, the encounter that happens in Mark chapter 7. It begins with the Pharisees criticizing Jesus because his followers, they began eating without ceremonially washing their hands. Now, I think Jesus is all for good, clean hygiene, but this went beyond that. And Jesus replies to them. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin, that is, it's now devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. You know, it can be really easy for us to like lump all of the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those guys, into this category of the villains in the gospel, right? Because they do get a lot of criticism and they do get a lot of things wrong. But we need to be careful and not too judgmental because even Christians today, we can easily do the same thing. We can turn good principles into rules. Take, for example, 1 Corinthians 10. It says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Great principle. Great principle. We shouldn't allow anything we eat or drink to cause division with others because our relationships, they're more important than our appetites. They're even more important than our freedoms. 
This is one reason why there have been several periods in my life and in my ministry where I have abstained from consuming alcohol because people I worked with, um, they may have struggled with it, so I wanted to do this in order to show care and love for them. But on the other hand, when I went to Bible college, I met Christians there who had turned that principle into a rule. They said that one way that you could tell someone was not a Christian was if they drank alcohol. And that that, that was the sure sign that someone was an unbeliever. Now, this was very surprising news to me because growing up, often after church, we would head over to my grandparents' house for a bucket of KFC and my Russian grandfather sipping a little bit of vodka. Now, I do not know what your stance on the Colonel's chicken is or fermented drink, but I gotta tell you, we need to be careful that we do not make the tragic mistake of diminishing God's principles into human-made rules. When Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, he is not dismissing God's word nor our responsibility to faithfully follow it. Jesus fulfills the law's demands because he's the king, right? So he's the one who put the decrees into place. And now he is instructing his subjects on how they can live in harmony with the law by imitating him. You see, the rest of Matthew's gospel, it goes on to show how Christ fulfills the law by embodying it, by living these things out. He doesn't just call other people to be merciful, but Jesus himself, he goes about showing mercy. He touches lepers, right? He goes and has dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, you know, he doesn't just say to people who are persecuted for the sake of the kingdom that they're blessed, but he himself suffers for the kingdom. And Pilate says about him, what evil has he done? So when Jesus says in verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, he cannot mean keeping the rules of the scribal law better than they did. You see, righteousness, it's not about the right rules, but it's about being in right relationship and right relationship with God and with others with ourselves and creation. You see, this is the third time in the Sermon on the Mount, in such short order, that Jesus has brought up righteousness. So obviously it is supremely important to him. And as I said earlier, I believe it is the first of all of the attributes that are to characterize us as his followers. To enter God's kingdom, this righteousness is required. And this righteousness that God desires it does have a certain look and feel to it, right? There are ways of living that are right and there are ways of living that are not. Jesus doesn't get rid of the law because, as I said earlier, the law, the, the principles in Scripture, they're good. They are a picture of what living in right relationship with God and with others looks like. What Jesus does in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that we will continue to unpack after Christmas is that he correctly interprets and he reveals the full depth of meaning in the law, which the Pharisees had twisted what their scribal law had got all wrong. 
So not only does he unpack it, he actually heightens and strengthens the demands of the law. For example, he'll say, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, don't even get angry. Or you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust. And in this way, Jesus is showing us that the outward compliance to rules, it's not enough. That true righteousness, it grows from the inside out. That it begins with the attitude of our hearts. And this righteousness required to enter God's kingdom, it can only come with a new heart. You see, looking the part's not enough. Just showing up here at church, singing songs, even volunteering because this is what Christians do, this doesn't cut it. God demands more than just going through the motions, more than just our outward appearance. God wants all of you and me. I remember when I was young, my cousins, they were very cynical of my uncle's faith because, quite honestly, it was ritual. It was not a relationship with God. He was not a follower of Christ despite clinging to some of the habits that he had learned in his childhood, particularly praying before a meal. So I remember they would laugh because my uncle would grab his cereal, he'd pour it in his bowl, he would pray, he'd get up, and then he'd be like, oh, I forgot the milk. And he would go get the milk, and then he would pour that in there. Then he would bow his head, and he would pray again. But this was his outward performance. He did not have a changed life. But real kingdom righteousness works from the inside out. It produces changed hearts with new motivations so that the actions that flow from the new heart, that flow from that new life, do in fact surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It goes beyond just ritual into right relationships. In John 3, Jesus has an encounter with one of the Pharisees. His name is Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again means to be born of the Spirit. And so righteousness is required to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the prerequisite to this righteousness, to a right relationship with God, is being born again, as Jesus says which only happens through faith in Christ. Jesus will go on in John chapter 3 to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, they shall not perish. They shall have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You know, before my uncle died of lung cancer, he was born again. He came to put his hope and faith in Christ, and it resulted in actions that flowed from a new heart. I remember my dad telling me that he experienced something new in his lifelong best friend that he had never seen before. There was a kindness there and a gentleness that that was brand new. I remember my cousins, his children, though they were not believers, they were confounded by their dad's change before he died. You see, kingdom righteousness, it works from the inside out. Jesus not only fulfilled the law through his life and death, but he also fulfills it in us. 
He fulfills the requirements of righteousness through his life in us. Colossians 1 says, God wanted everyone to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. What a promise. To enter God's kingdom, righteousness is required, but Jesus offers it to all of us. And it is the life of God in us that is the source of this true righteousness. We are called to walk by the Spirit, to be obedient to his leading, and then when we do, our lives will begin to bear good fruit. It will begin to result in good relationships, reconciliation, restoration, real righteousness. And there are many things that you and I can do for our part in this relationship to grow in faith and righteousness. And we have to do these things if we're going to be spiritually vibrant and alive. However, like every relationship, these things take sacrifice and time. There are no shortcuts. These include things that many of you have probably heard or have been practicing for a long time. Things like prayer or worship and praise in God. Things like serving. However, I think the challenge for us today is about getting into the Word. To be people of the Bible. Besides His Son and the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Scriptures are one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to us. Psalm 119 says, How can a person keep their way pure? Ah, by keeping it according to your word. Joshua 1, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left. You may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, the Bible is more than just a book. It is our guide that gives us direction and help in this life. We need to be reading it daily. We need to be meditating on it, as Joshua 1 says. And meditating means that simply we're thinking about it, that we're contemplating on it, thinking, Lord, how am I to live this out? We need to study it which means we need to go deeper. I talk to people all the time saying we can't just expect to understand necessarily everything the Bible says. It's written thousands of years ago in a different time and language and culture. And so some of it's difficult to understand, but God has given us the community of faith and his Holy Spirit. And so we have all the advantages on our side of understanding it. We need to memorize it. I'm blown away by how many people here at Calvary are just able to like, whip out verses. It's incredible. But what I see what they've done with it is they've internalized it. And that's really important. I also mentioned how the scriptures aren't simply this list of do's and don'ts, right? They, they are a picture of, you know, what a right relationship with God looks like. And so one of the ways I thought, perhaps for some of you who are more visual learners or more artistic, a way that you could get the word into you or get into the word, is that you could do something creative with a passage. Perhaps you could do a drawing of some scripture or paint a scene. 
Maybe you do some digital animation or photography. And then maybe, if, like, what if it's about the Sermon on the Mount? Then you could share it with us and we could display it. And what a blessing it would be to the rest of the church community. If you are here this morning and you don't have a Bible, I just want to encourage you to come talk to me or any staff member. We will get you one. It will be our gift from us to you because we love this so much and we think everyone should have one. And if you speak, if English is not your first language, talk and we can help you get one in your heart language and uh, we want to try and do that too. We have lots of Bible studies that you can get into to go further with other people. They're listed on our website. And we also have a resource called Right Now Media. If you don't know about that, it's basically Netflix um, for the Bible. And uh, if this is your home church and if you want access to that, just contact Aaron at the office. There are thousands of Bible studies on there and a number of them that I've seen are very good and we can recommend some to you. But we love scripture here because we believe it is our, our guide and a great gift from God. And it leads us into right relationship. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. There it is, training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you have never been a follower of Jesus and you want a right relationship with God, I really want to invite you now to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to place your hope and your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and to be the guide for your life. And maybe this morning, some of you, you know, you made a commitment to following Jesus a long time ago, but maybe you've neglected your relationship and you've, you've drifted and now it's more about going through the motions. It's more ritual than it is relationship. Well, I think the Spirit of God in invites us right now too to, to confess to take the opportunity of repentance. We can turn from that. We can come back to him and to a relationship. And we can do those things we did at first when our relationship was alive and when it captured our hearts. I invite you to stand with me and invite the worship team to come on up. Let's pray together. Jesus, for those of us who are placing our hope and trust in you for the very first time, we thank you for your life and death and resurrection. Help us to follow you and to be faithful to live the kingdom life that you are calling us to. Lord, for those of us who maybe we've drifted, forgive us and help us to be faithful to you once again. And all of us invite your spirit to live the life of Jesus in us, producing in our hearts the character of Christ so that our outward action are products of your inward dwelling. We love you and we worship you. And in your name we pray these things. Amen.